Good evening, everyone. I'm Steve, an alcoholic. Uh, I want to thank Larry for that flowery introduction, and uh, uh, it's going to be hard to live up to that. But uh, no, and I look, Connie and I are so grateful and appreciate Larry coming and and picking us up and and uh, communicating with us as we got ready to. to come here for the weekend. We are both uh, so grateful for the invitation and to uh, spend the time with you guys. I think this is the third or fourth time that we've been here, and, uh, and, and it is so much fun uh, to, to hang out with, uh, with you guys for, for the weekend, and, and the spirit and the enthusiasm uh, uh, that, that we find here is, uh, will really send us back uh, 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 charged up and excited. So thank you for that. And uh, you know, I, I'm here on, on Thursday night and, and been tasked with speaking about the chapter of Vision for You, which, you know, as we so often read uh, in our meetings on page 164, which is the last page of the up to page 164 in our big book. So this is sort of like one of those uh, uh, movies that you go to where they show the last scene first. <laughs> And then, they, and then they go back and build up to it. And that is really kind of what's going to happen this weekend, right? That I'm going to spend a, a, a few minutes here uh, uh, focusing on some of the things that, that strike me in that chapter. Uh, and then our step presenters and other speakers for the rest of the weekend will go back to the beginning and walk us up to that. Because what happens in the book, if I'm kind of going through this book chronologically, there's a presumption that I've read the other chapters before I get to a vision for you. And, and it's sort of like telling that, guys, when this book, that you know, when the book was sent out and it was just finding its way out and there weren't, boy, a gathering like this was almost unthinkable. It does say in that, in that chapter that they hoped that, that Alcoholics Anonymous would begin to spring up in these hamlets and that we would be able to find our fellows as we traveled about. I'm not sure that events like this and others that we are so fortunate to go to around the country that, that, that they were thinking that big. But aren't we sitting here tonight an example of that vision, of that hope, of that dream, that Alcoholics Anonymous would find its way out, that it would build up from that, that small beginning in Akron and Cleveland and, and, and then New York. You know, it strikes me in that chapter at that, at that one part where it's after Bill has uh, 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 gone back to New York and it says uh, a year and six months later, they had seven more and they were excited. <laughs> that kind of growth, you know, uh, yeah, we're really pulling them in now, you know, uh, uh, a year and a half. I mean, the Washingtonians were growing by tens of thousands and then crumbled of their own weight, crumbled of that lack of direction and singleness of purpose. And, uh, uh, but they were a year and a half later, said, we got seven more, man. This is pretty good. What if we looked around and seven lives were saved? That's not a small thing. It seems like a small number to us in a gathering like this, but that's no small thing. So we gather here an example of that vision for you. So I've read that book and I get there and, and the guys are kind of telling me, right? Bill and, and the other contributors to the book are, 
are saying, okay, now here's our vision for you. You've read through what we've got here. We've laid these steps out. We've laid this program out. We've given you even how, how, how the, the, the family and the wives and the employer, uh, how you might navigate back into those environments and how they might be able to receive or be challenged by your, your sobriety. But now we got a vision for you. And it starts, there's, there's a line in there that says, we know. We know what you're thinking. We know you're out there by yourself. You're reading this book. There aren't these meetings to go to. We're not looking at the, at the where and when, or we're not calling intergroup, or we're not pulling up online and trying to figure out which of the 32 meetings at 8 o'clock on, on a Tuesday I might go to. We know what you're thinking. You're jittery. You're alone. You're scared. I can't do that. And it says, we have done it. Our experience tells us you can. And then it begins to talk again about where we head in this program. So it's kind of interesting, at least to me. Uh, I have found that what interests me doesn't always interest the multitudes that have. Uh, uh, <laughs> but what interests me, among other things, is where we start in a vision for you because it begins to talk about it's really the first page and a half is a little bit of a uh, uh, summary of what my drinking was like, what happened to me, and what my life is like today. Right? If you're new, I almost hate to do this to you, but it says what most normal folks get from a few drinks. For most normal folks, drinking means conviviality. I didn't know what, the, it's just kind of a fun word to say. I didn't, uh, uh, I didn't know what it meant for a long time. I thought, it, I thought I'd been arrested for solicitation of it. But uh, 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 it, as it turns out, amongst other things, it means feasting and drinking. But it means conviviality, joyous intimacy with friends, colorful imagination, release from care, boredom, and worry, and a feeling that life is good. That's an attractive package. That's what that guy maybe that goes home and has two beers and gets in his recliner with a pint of ice cream watching Andy Griffith reruns, you know. <laughs> what could be wrong with this? I, I, probably nothing. That's not me. That's, I hoped for some version of that when I drank. I, don't, I wouldn't have used that language. I wasn't that specific, but I was hoping some version of that, some joyous intimacy with friends, some running with my buddy, some hang, you know, some hit in the street, that my imagination would be fired. You know, when we have that third, fourth, I don't know what drink it is for you, but there's a certain point in my drinking when I get some really good ideas. <laughs> a feeling that life is good. Which, by the way, I've come to know it's a feeling. It's an illusion that life is good. It's temporary. It's not a real view of life. It's synthetic. You know, over in early in the book, when, when, uh, in the doctor's opinion, when he talks about these synthetic approaches, man-made, it's not a spiritual solution. It's man-made. And it's temporary. And it's an illusion. But that's attractive, and it says that, uh, but not so for those of us, me, in the latter days of our drinking. That's not what I get. It says maybe momentarily. 
So I don't know what, what that moment is. Maybe it is that third or fourth or fifth drink or whatever number that is. There's a point in my drinking, usually, where, there, where momentarily I found release from care, boredom, and worry. Where momentarily I felt okay about life. But it was fleeting. You know, earlier in the book it talks about when it's describing the real alcoholic. It says he is seldom mildly intoxicated. I take issue with that. I was often mildly intoxicated. Right before I was very intoxicated. You almost have to be mildly intoxicated before you can be really, you know, if you're going zero to 60, you got to hit 30 somewhere along there. But I don't stay there. I don't hit 30 and go on cruise control. I'm blow right by mildly intoxicated. So maybe momentarily I get this relief, this much needed relief. But then comes oblivion and awakening to face the hideous four horsemen of terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. I know that feeling. I know what that's like. The last... uh, uh, DUI that, that I got, I had, uh, I'd left a, a little restaurant. You know, have you ever gone into a restaurant around 6.30 at night for dinner and it turned into a bar around 9 or 9.30? That's what happened here. I, I went from a meal to the bar. And I left there according to the arrest report sometime, uh, uh, sometime just after midnight. I went the wrong way down a, a, a little one, a one-way street and I hit a Brentwood, Tennessee police officer. Yeah, just tip it. That will get you arrested in Brentwood. And, uh, uh, and I came to the next morning in, uh, in the Williamson County Jail. Now, I will promise you, I remember being at dinner, or I certainly did then. This was, this was now 30-plus years ago because it was a little uh, longer than a year before I sobered up after that. I remember being in there at dinner with, uh, with some coworkers and people that were in from out of town. So I remember having that momentary feeling. And I remember coming to in that jail, feeling that terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. Again, again, how did this happen? I called Connie to come pick me up. I'd called her from jail before. But she suggested I call somebody else on this occasion. And, uh, 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 and, and so I know that feeling. How does this happen again? In 1980, I left a, a, a bar in Atlanta, Georgia. I'd been drinking kamikaze shooters and, and taking tuanols. Uh, 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 I wouldn't know that from the prescription because these were not prescribed medications for me. But uh, uh, I left. I got on the interstate going uh, east in the westbound lane. I hit a car head on. Uh, two other cars hit us. It totaled all four cars. I came to, sent some people to the hospital. I came to in, in the Cobb County Jail in Atlanta. I'd urinated on myself, I'd, I'd vomited on myself, or, you know, I hope I did because somebody did. And, uh, 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 mm. you know, if you come to in the drunk tank, the stains you, you know, may or may not be of your own making, but uh, uh, I prefer to think that's an indignity I inflicted on myself. But, uh, but that morning, full, bewildered, certainly full of despair. Scared to death, 
about the consequences, legal, personal, professional, that awaited me. That's the feeling. I never once took a drink hoping if I do everything just right, by around 12 or 1 o'clock, I will have wrecked my car, wet my pants, be handcuffed in the back of a police car on the way to jail. That was never the goal. So obviously I was targeting joyous intimacy with friends, colorful imagination, release from care, boredom, and worry. But I'm waking up with these four bedfellows of terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. With enough of that, the book goes on to say, so what am I going to do? I'm locked here. So, so a guy like me, just like the, the example here in the book, says, okay, you guys have convinced me. All right, AA, you've convinced me. I need to get out from under. I need to stop drinking. But what do you got for me? Is there a substitute? It's amazing that somebody like me and perhaps some of you, after everything that alcohol did to us, the idea of putting it down seems like a sacrifice. But it certainly did. I feel like I'm giving something up. What am I going to do? What do you got for me? It says, am I consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum like some righteous people I see? My sponsor told me, he said, Steve, you're stuck with stupid, but boring and glum is going to be optional. (laughs) And the truth is, I don't even see being boring as a problem. My brother and I, when I'd been sober about six months, we, we went to Fort Worth on a business trip and we went out to dinner and he had a couple of drinks before dinner and, and a couple of drinks with dinner and now dinner's over and he said, he said let's go down, down the street to this next place and I said, I think I'm going to go back to the hotel. And he said, you are a boring son of a gun, you know, and I'm walking away and I'm feeling bad about that for a minute and then it dawned on me. Being boring is not my problem. If I'm bored, it's my problem. But I don't mind being boring. I got another 45 minutes to bore you. I could care less. Because <laughs> I'm having a ball, right? So my life in Alcoholics Anonymous has not been boring. But it says, am I consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum like some righteous people I see? And that's what I thought. I knew that, that all of a sudden I'm at this point in my own recovery and I know I need to not drink. I'm here. You know what? You've convinced me I need to get out from under. But I thought when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous that we were going to do an awful lot of not drinking. I mean, I thought we got together. I thought not drinking was an actual activity in Alcoholics Anonymous. That we'll just get together and not drink, you know. Would you look at him not drink over there? And, uh, uh, oh, did you see the technique on that guy? He, he, re- he reached forward, he pulled back. It was unbelievable. And, uh, uh, and we'll just not drink. And that a life in AA is going to be all about where I can't go and what I can't do and who I can't hang out with. It's going to be a life of self-sacrifice. My life's about to get really small. And I didn't realize how small my life had become before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't realize how limited my sphere had become. I didn't realize how many places I could not go or would not go. I didn't realize how much my decision-making was based on on what I was going to drink, where I was going to drink, who I was going to drink with, if we were going to be able to drink. You know, I, my, what I was nervous about, when, you know, I grew up there in, in Smyrna, Tennessee, and, and Smyrna is a... a uh, certainly a fairly conservative southern town, and there wasn't a ton of diversity as uh, I grew up, but I, 
I remember as I, as I got, you know, a little older, I had some Jewish friends and some Catholic friends and the rest of us were Methodist and Southern Baptist. And when my Jewish friends or Catholic friends would have a wedding, man, they had a, they had a wedding. You got, they had an open bar and a band and it was a party. And when my Southern Baptist friends uh, had a wedding, they had punching cookies down in the basement of the church. <laughs> and I was pretty sure I was coming to the punching cookies crowd here at Alcoholics Anonymous, that that was the longest hour and a half of my life, sitting down there figuring out when can I get out of here. And that's the way I came to you, full of a lot I'm not going to drink. People go, hey, Steve, we're going to go... Uh, 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 on a golf weekend next weekend, would you like to go? Boys, I, I'd, I'd love to go, but I, I'm, I'm busy next weekend. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'll be home not drinking. And, uh, uh, yeah, in fact, I got a couple of friends coming over. We're going to not drink all day long. And it's, uh, 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 and that's really what I thought this was going to be. And I was prepared to do it because I reached a point where I knew that I needed to not drink. I decided I was going to not, you know, and, and knowing that I needed to not drink is different than wanting to not drink. It took time to find the shift. So it says, so what have you got for me here in Alcoholics Anonymous? Do you have a substitute? And the book says, yes, we do. And it is vastly more than that. It is a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous where you'll find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. So we find the fellowship and so will you. If you break it down, that's the exact same thing that's being offered most normal folks by a few drinks. It says, I'm going to find release from care, boredom, and worry. That's the same language that's in, uh, uh, in, in what AA has for me. It says that my imagination will be fired. That's the same as colorful imagination. It says that I'll find a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the same as joyous intimacy with friends. It says that life will mean something at last. The most satisfying years of our existence lie ahead. It interests me that it uses the word satisfying. It doesn't say happy. It doesn't say joyous. My life has been all of those things. But my life is satisfying. See, what I didn't know when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous and before I got here, I was insatiable. I was trying to be self-satisfied. I was trying to, to collect my satisfaction externally from something, the acquisition of something. I needed more of this or less of this. I needed, I needed work or or wives, or kids, or jobs, or, you know, you pick it. I needed it to be different. I needed to find some way to satisfy my perception of my needs. And it's impossible. And I get here, and when you redirect me towards other people, when you redirect me in a God-directed rather than self-directed life, this life becomes satisfying. When I went into a treatment center on, on the July the 1st of 1989, they, they gave me a, uh, an assessment on the way in. And one of the things, I, I, I usually talk about the drinking test, and I won't talk about that one today. But there was one question that said, what is your purpose in life? And there was a line about 
inch and a half long for that, that. And I was immediately offended at the brevity of space for me to expound upon my purpose in life until I realized I had nothing to put into space. Nothing. I was purposeless. I was directionless. I was untethered to anything. I did not know. I was living a day at a time in the very worst sense of the word. I did not know where I was going. I was blowing in the wind. And Alcoholics Anonymous has, has, has grounded me to a set of spiritual values. You've connected me with a power greater than myself. You have freed me up to, to on some days, be of use to other people. And it feels purposeful. And that is satisfying. That's what ultimately satiated this, this unquenchable spiritual thirst that I had. The book goes on here in the vision for you. The next area, uh, among other things, begins to talk about uh, uh, Bill's meeting with Bob. And I'm not going to go into the history because I know that Gail is going to do that. But I want to I want to talk about a couple of points in this story that that uh, uh, that catch my attention. And it talks about Bill that one dismal afternoon, right, being there in, in the hotel lobby. And said, and, and we all know the story because we're preaching to the choir here almost all the time. But there's that moment where he where he could turn to the bar and he and he he was attracted by and heard the gay crowd inside. It said, uh, uh, and, and he was close. He thought he could maybe find some companionship, and it says companionship and release. Release. That's interesting to me. I, I hadn't thought about that word really until I started kind of thumbing back through here and coming here this week and release, right? In the third step prayer, I'm asking God to relieve me from the bondage of self. And I believe that Bill felt a couple of drinks and, and a conversation with somebody else might give him some release, some relief from that bondage. And he stands there in that moment. And that pivotal moment from Alcoholics Anonymous that, that ultimately has us all here where our lives hung in the balance. And it says that with a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory. Music and gay chatter still floated in the background. Boy, aren't I glad that he made that turn. With a shiver, I can almost get that feeling. And I want you to remember the, 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 the terminology being used here because he was attracted to that gay crowd inside. He finally made that call that you know, and he goes to, uh, to, to hook up with uh, Dr. Bob. And, and Dr. Bob, as I read here, says that, that when he's sitting here talking to Bill, says Dr. Bob was painfully aware of being somehow abnormal. But he did not fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic. That's what Bill brought to Bob. Bob was painfully aware. I mean, now, I mean, that, that language, he, he was, it was hurting. He is, I am, and I was painfully aware that I was somehow abnormal, but I would never, or I could not articulate that or even have that conversation with somebody else. But why do I feel how I feel? What is, what is abnormal? Why don't I feel normal? Why don't I feel like I fit with everybody else? You know, that's what I hear most. If there's one common theme that I hear in Alcoholics Anonymous, 
from somebody coming up and said, I didn't feel like I fit. I feel different. And so if you're new, I would tell you, if you feel different, that's the very thing that makes you like everyone else in the room. That is the common denominator. I feel different than you. Perfect. Sit down. Yeah. Here's a table of feeling different people over here. But we don't know that. I certainly don't know that when I get here. He was painfully aware that he was somehow abnormal. When you go back to Dr. Bob's nightmare and, 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 uh, and Dr. Bob is again talking about that meeting with Bill. And he says, uh, he says, you might ask what was different about this man. Because he had read all he could read about alcoholism. He had talked to doctors. He was a doctor. He had talked to uh, uh, a psychiatrist. He had been prayed over by the Oxford group. Uh, 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 He had pursued a spiritual uh, solution to this problem. He said, but this was the first human being who ever talked to me from personal experience. In other words, he spoke my language. That's what we do here. It's the language of the heart in one way, but that identification, one alcoholic with another, that's paramount that brings us into Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what was happening. He goes from painfully aware that he's somehow abnormal to being seated at the table with the abnormal people. And Bill is talking to him, and he goes, yeah, man, me too. Not like... Not that guy that says, I know how you feel because intellectually I think I've got a handle on it. But that man or woman that says, I've been through what you've been through. Let me describe my experience and tell me if this sounds familiar. And that's the experience that he had there. In that... uh, time that he was with with Dr. Bob and and they were now enthusiastically having these conversations with each other and Bill stayed there for you know for three months but but fairly early in this uh, uh, relationship uh, 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 they're talking and and Dr. Bob is kind of excited about this this thing he and Bill got got going and Bill had brought to him those Oxford group tenants and and uh, uh, he said but he was a little uh uh, thrown off by the idea of going out and and talking to people in that in that restitution and bringing to people's attention that he was alcoholic, he wanted to address his alcoholism, but he said, "I don't see that it's going to work for me to go out and and he, he said he argued that should he lose the remainder of his business only to bring still more suffering to his family by foolishly admitting his plight to people. So he's resisting going out and doing this. And he said to to Bill, I'll do anything, he said, but that. Man, and Alcoholics Anonymous and me and other people, how many times has a guy said, I'll do anything, but that. I mean, not that. You don't mean that. Yeah, I'm in. I'm all in. Y'all go to any length. I lived in Richmond, Virginia, and I, I was I was sponsoring a guy. And, and uh, uh, when I started sponsoring him, he lived in a, in a big house. He he had a wife and a young son. He he had a Porsche. Uh, uh, and after a, about a year and a half of my sponsorship, he had lost the house, the wife, the kid. He was living in the Porsche, and uh, 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 
And, uh, you know, that's, that's what some good guidance can do for you. And, uh, uh, and he had been in jail and he had been just bouncing back and forth. And he called me today. He got out of jail and he said, Steve, he said, man, I'm ready. I am ready. And he said, it's not for my wife anymore. It's not for the kid. It's not to get anything back. He said, I'll do anything. And I said, all right, man. I said, come on over. And he went, now? (laughs) I swear. (laughs) I hung up. But uh, uh, now? That? Really? I mean, yeah, I'm all in. But. And, and I got to tell you, that's what, you know, when we say in how it works, those who do not recover, people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. I will tell you, in my, for me, there's never, I have discovered that there has been nothing that AA has asked me to do that I cannot do. But there have case by case been things I will not do. And I will tell you on the front end, I can't do it. But closer observation will reveal I will not. Willingness, we say in Alcoholics Anonymous, is key. You know, willingness is critical. Honest, open, willing. I was 18 years sober before I looked up the word willingness. And among other things, it said doing that which I would not do as a matter of course. That makes perfect sense to me. There is nothing AA has asked me to do that I was just about to do before I got here. (laughs) Is there a single direction in AA that you go, oh, man, I was going to do that? (laughs) There's everything that Alcoholics Anonymous asks me to do is counterintuitive to the person that shows up here. It is contrary to my character. I know that my character is defective when I get here. I know it's defective because apparently it produces defects of character. And you, you say, do this. Let's go, let's go repair this character. Let's go have this psychic change. Let's go have this, this emotional rearrangement. Let's go through this spiritual process and you will be changed from the inside out. You won't get smarter. You won't get more virtuous. You won't learn to do anything here in AA. You will become a different person. The guy that spent that time initially in Alcoholics Anonymous not drinking. And believe me, when I got here, I had to spend a little time not drinking, resisting a drink. But somewhere in my first year or so in Alcoholics Anonymous, one day when I wasn't paying attention, I turned from a guy that can't drink to a guy that doesn't drink. And I changed from a guy that has to go to AA to a guy that gets to go to AA. And those are different experiences. And again, it's an internal shift that's a result of, of doing what you guys asked me to do. After Bill and Bob got this thing going a little bit and, and Bill moved back to New York, they began to have, you know, they were having uh, their meetings. Often these were these the house meetings, right? And it even talked about the couple that opened their home up to a, uh, to a whole assortment of people, to the families and, and anyone interested. And it talks about these gatherings. And uh, uh, it said one man and his wife placed their large home at the disposal of this strangely assorted crowd. 
This is a rather strangely assorted crowd. And, and here's, here's one of my favorite passages in the book talking about those meetings. It says, many a man yet dazed from his hospital experience has stepped over the threshold of that home into freedom. Many an alcoholic who entered there came away with an answer. He succumbed to that gay crowd inside who laughed at their misfortune and understood his. Bill was at that seminal moment in Alcoholics Anonymous attracted to that gay crowd inside. Many of people, this guy has stepped over and I'm attracted in AA to the gay crowd inside who laughed at your misfortunes and understood mine. We laugh. We say that cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. We self-deprecatingly laugh at ourselves and we tell our stories and we begin to see the absurdity of how I was living and how I was acting and what I was doing. But we don't laugh at that new person who brings his trouble in who has that thing and he or she can't quite figure out, we know it's not a big deal. We know that, that, that that's absurd in the same way that, that a lot of what I put on the table was absurd. It says up here that, that aside from fellowship and sociability, the prime object was to provide a time and place where new people might bring their problems. Now, it doesn't say they let them talk about them incessantly for a long time. <laughs> but you can bring them. <laughs> And then we get to have those conversations. And whether it's over coffee or whether it's sitting around later, and they're telling, we're telling each other, I'm telling you that problem, and you haven't been through it, already know, but, but you don't laugh at me. What you do is tell me, yeah, man, I've been down there, and let me tell you. And we take some of the heat off. We make it lighter for people. We laugh at our misfortunes, and we understood theirs. I think that's a key element for me in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I want to remember to try to help people to lighten up, to not carry that burden so heavy. Again, it says here, we know that what you're thinking, you're saying to yourself, I'm jittery and alone, and I couldn't do that. Everything it's just talked about, I'm jittery and alone, it sounds good, but I can't do that. That's why we reach out. We don't send people on solo missions in Alcoholics Anonymous. You're right. You can't do that. We can do that with God's help. We can do it. No, let's go. Let me, let me come help you. Let's walk this way together. Then we get over to page 164. We get to the page that is read so often 
at, uh, at all of our meetings. And then it says, still you say. Still, so now this new person that is reading this book that's, that's going through a vision for you that's just showing up in Alcoholics Anonymous, maybe they didn't read the book. Maybe they came to our meeting. Maybe they heard us talking in our meeting that we had been through this. Maybe they heard the speaker go from, from what it was like and he was like and what happened and what he's like now. And they go, yeah, I get it. But maybe I won't have benefit of contact. Maybe I'm leaving here. Maybe I won't run into you people. The guy that got this book out that was mailed out to him that found its way to these remote areas. I'm reading this, but maybe I won't run into you guys. It says, well, God will determine that. So you must remember that your real reliance is always upon him. From the very beginning, we're telling people in Alcoholics Anonymous, we hope we, we hope we, you find us and we hope we find you. We hope AA grows and we hope we'll have this type of gathering. But even if we don't, remember, your real reliance is on God. And, and going through this process is about establishing a relationship with God, not about becoming dependent. We are, we are interdependent with each other. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. I want to talk about that a minute. First thing is... Have you met the guy who realized he knows only a little? Yeah. He ain't in my home group. And he ain't me. We realize we know only a little. And since our book is meant to be suggestive only, right? This book, we talk about suggestions. I hear people, I, I take issue with no one because what we get to do in Alcoholics Anonymous when it's my turn at the podium or to talk in my home group or or if we're even out at dinner, is to share a point of view, not the answer, but a point of view. In fact, our book says, right, it says that each of us in our own language and from our own point of view talks about how he established a relationship with God. And a point of view is just what it looks like from here. So I tell you, I tell you what it looked like and felt like to me going through this. This is my view of things. And my view of things is when the book Alcoholics Anonymous says these are suggestions, that they're suggestions. When I look at the beginning of, of uh, 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 in how it works and it says following are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. These are suggestions. Here's the caveat. It's the only suggestion we got. <laughs> AA doesn't have a second set of suggestions. So we're, this is, if you're alcoholic and you found your way to AA, we're suggesting you do this. If you're not interested in this, we suggest you do something else. But don't call it AA. We don't, and, I, and I don't mean that in a, in a smart-alecky way. AA offers one thing. It tells me all through, AA offers one thing. It's, it's a power greater than myself which will solve my problem. And it doesn't say it's the only thing. It's just the only thing that AA does. You know, we're like a steak restaurant. Somebody comes and orders fish. We go, hey, we, we just got steak. <laughs> no, but I'd really like some fish. I'm a fan of fish, and I can talk to you about the merits of a fish uh, diet. Yeah, dude, we're all, we're all in, but we don't have any fish. <laughs> now, I know where there's a wonderful fish restaurant. I'll send you down to the seafood restaurant. That's okay. There's nothing to fight about in Alcoholics Anonymous, in my opinion. There's my point of view. 
We don't have to argue NAA because it's, it's just there. We just kind of do what it says. Now, we, we sometimes have a different approach. We sometimes describe it differently because we spend a lot of time in AA describing experiences that are indescribable. A spiritual experience, I am limited by my vocabulary to articulate what that is. I can only use the words I have. So we, we, these are suggestives only. We realize we know only a little God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Just a little quick aside, I'm sitting at uh, uh, breakfast. This has been about 10 years ago with uh, uh, Bob B., who's been here quite a bit, and another uh, friend of ours, uh, uh, Mary Jane R. And, uh, and one of us, Bob or I, said something to that that more will be revealed. And Mary Jane said, look, let's meet back here for lunch and you guys show me where the big book says more will be revealed. And we said, you, you know, we'll buy, the loser buys lunch. And so, okay, we're in. And I started looking and she was making this point. It's, it's a distinction without a difference, but the book says more will be disclosed. I haven't found anywhere that it says revealed. And uh, uh, so anyway, it says, you know, that, that so more will be disclosed. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. I can't tell you even today how often my morning meditation is focused on me. <laughs> not, a, not that, you know, I, God, I got a little, I'm glad you could get up early with me this morning. I got a laundry list of things I think that we should work out. I, I'm, I, I'm not that, it's not that overt. I don't even, I'm so capable of fooling myself I don't realize what I'm doing have you ever caught yourself praying and then restating a prayer so it'll be more effective to God <laughs> yeah I got no because lest he misunderstand uh, and I think that I will be so uh, 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 that, that, that I'll, I'll I'll be so articulate and persuasive in how I present my case that the result will be I'll get what I think I want but this is suggesting that why don't you, Steve, start your day by asking each morning, what can I do for the man that is still sick? Uh, that's still catching me a little bit off guard and by surprise. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you can't transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. Here's been my experience. Great events have come to pass. And a lot of them were the same events that were going on before I got sober and got a relationship with this power, but I just now recognize that they're great. I value things differently than I used to value them. Great events, have, many of the events that I view as great were happening all along. Spiritual experiences were, were, were whipping by me on a daily basis, but I got my head down looking at my shoes, uh, uh, scuffing my feet across the blacktop. But you've opened my eyes to these great events. You have increased my capacity for love. Relationship, Connie and I, in, in, on the 31st of this month, will be married 36 years. Yeah. Mm. On our 25th wedding anniversary, uh, which again is always New Year's Eve, I was speaking at, at a deal and Connie was with me and I mentioned that it was our 25th wedding anniversary. And people gave the polite applause, as you did. Uh, they actually did it a lot better than you did. But uh, uh, 
Uh, but people gave polite applause, and it struck me. I said, look, we're celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. We did not celebrate them all. We did not celebrate them all. And I will tell you that I loved my wife and my daughter as much as I was capable of before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. But my capacity was limited. And over time, with your help and God's help and Alcoholics Anonymous and trying every now and then to think about the man who is still sick, I find these relationships at a depth that were unavailable to me before I got here. That's a vision for you. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Abandon myself to God. Abandon self to God. That's what I've been doing. That's what AA is having me do ever since I got here. All the way to third step prayer. Uh, uh, you know, after the prayer, it says we thought well before taking this important step. Which is, you know, kind of a... a, a bait-and-switch moment in AA. It's after the prayer, but uh, uh, I've already taken it. You go, now, hey, you should have thought about that. But uh, uh, but here, I'm asked to, it says, we thought well, so abandon, asking, it says, we thought well before taking this important step, asking ourselves if we are ready to abandon ourselves utterly to him. So here, I'm being asked right at the end again, we're going right back to the, to the focus Abandon yourself to God. That's the vision we got for you, Steve. Abandon self, this selfishness, this self-centeredness, which is the root of your trouble. This hyper self-consciousness, this bondage of self, which has kept you feeling different. Abandon yourself to God as you understand it with the freedom that that understanding can grow and change and evolve as a result of the 11th step. Admit your faults to him and your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of the past. Give freely of what you find and join us. If anybody here is new here, that's what I want to say, join us. I'll tell you a quick story and and then I'll, I'll end. And I'll tell you, before I tell you that story, I will tell you the two most often told lies from the podium in Alcoholics Anonymous. The first is I'll be brief. Mm. Mm. And the others, I'll end with this. And uh, 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 uh. so I'll be brief. And uh, uh. when I was about six months sober, I'm loving AA. I'm going to meetings. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of digging being in AA. And, and I'm going to meetings. I'm coming home. And I'm going to meetings. And I'm coming home. And and uh, finally, one day, I'm, I'm, I'm in the meeting, and, and I realized that people were talking back and forth, you know, that chatter before the meeting. And I assume it had been going on, but somehow I had missed it. It's probably because I'm coming in, you know, uh, after the, the serenity prayer. And, uh, 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 and they're talking, and, and, and somebody said it was 1130 on Saturday morning meeting. And somebody said, hey, after the meeting, we're all going to lunch. Who wants to go? And I desperately wanted to go. I desperately wanted to go. And so I got in the car after the meeting. I started over there, and about halfway there, I turned off and went home. And the next week, same thing. And the next week, and I desperately wanted to go. But I was 
too afraid, too self-conscious, too much in the bondage of self to have what I feared would be an awkward, embarrassing moment. My fear was I would get there and walk in and there would be six people at a table for six and I wouldn't know where to sit. I wouldn't know if they really meant me. I wouldn't know whether I was supposed to pull up a seventh chair and, and ask somebody to move over and squeeze in and make room for me. I said, what I needed was a couple of guys to come over to me after the meeting and go, Steve, we have been talking, and we really want you to go to lunch with us. And, you know, we're just arguing over who gets to sit with you. And, uh, uh, and then I would have gone. I would have been fine. I would have gone, I would, I, and I would have been the head of the table because you would have removed the barriers, the self-consciousness, that fear of embarrassment, what I think you think, how I look, how that... It was crippling. So if you're new, what I'd say, if when we say we're going to dinner, who wants to come, we mean you. And when we say, when we're saying here, join us, that's what we're saying to that new man or woman. That's our vision for you. Join us. We cannot be sure if we'll cross paths. Those of us in this room are not sure if we'll cross paths again. So you must remember that your real reliance is always upon God, upon him. He will show you how to create the fellowship you crave. So I'll end with this. Uh, He uses the word crave. The only other place that I know Bill uses the word crave is in my relationship with alcohol. That I take a drink and it creates this phenomenon of craving. That that is the singular piece of the relationship with alcohol that is is exclusive to the alcoholic. Our book says it sets us apart as a distinct entity. It's distinctive. And, and, and I will crave it. And I will tell you, since I've been here at Alcoholics Anonymous, this is the fellowship I crave. I never would have guessed it. It never, this, I never would have known and found on my own this fellowship. This fellowship this weekend with you, the fellowship last night at my home group, the fellowship that I'll have over the course of the weekend sitting and talking with some friends or somebody I just met one-on-one. This is the fellowship I crave. And I thank you guys so much for letting me be here with you this weekend to share that. 